I remember the days of using AAA and uh, Rand McNally maps. How many remember those days before we had GPS and all those days? That dates a lot of us, amen? And uh, just trying to find out where to go from one place to the other and these streets you didn't know where to go and how to get there. And you'd have to meticulously study the maps and kind of figure out along the way what to do. And if you're like me, just in those early, back in those days, I, I made sure I contacted AAA and I tried to figure out during the year's time where I would have to go. And I tried to get maps for every county, whatever. Or if you've been on vacation and you wanted to go a length of journey, you'd get all these maps to make sure you'd find your way. And the key idea is that you'd have a map to find your way. Well, thank God GPS became part of our, became a novel tool to help us find our way around to our destination and eliminate the need for having maps. And instead of having to stop and read, you could listen to the voice. And uh, someone would guide you along the way, albeit not all the time that the, the, they were guiding you the right direction sometimes, but it got you there. But then a more improved state of the art GPS came along known as Waze. And I don't know how many of you use Waze, but I love using Waze. I love just uh, programming where I want to go onto it. And immediately it just, and what's neat about Waze is that it, try, it helps you find the fastest path to get there. And it helps to, uh, help you to ascertain if there's traffic that you want to avoid and uh, road blockages and accidents and things of that nature. And, and uh, what, you know, Waze has just been a wonderful tool. And I just praise God for the fact that Waze is a powerful tool to help you find your way. Now, thank God for those tools, and I'm sure Waze will get more improved, and there'll be something more state-of-the-art that will improve upon Waze. But I'm thankful today from the Word of God, God gives us a wonderful promise, a wonderful assurance about one thing. God will make a way. God makes a way for every Christian. And we find that here in, in verses 16 and 19 of our passage. Notice in verse 16, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord. In other words, God says, Because I say it, you can bank on it. Because I'm telling you this, you can, have, you can rest assured that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. And he says, Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters. Verse 19, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? And he says this in verse 19, I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, I want you to park on that as we go through the message this morning. He says here in verse 19, a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, something that was not common, something almost was impossible, something that would just be basically a relief to anyone stuck in the wilderness or wandering in the wilderness or looking for water in the the desert. These Bible verses are telling us God makes a way. Now, God makes a way for his people. Thankfully, this morning, we can say God is our Savior who made a way for every sinner to be saved. Amen? God is holy, as he says here in this passage of Scripture in verse 14. God is holy who makes a way for us to live a separated, sanctified life. God makes a way. God is our creator and king. And by saying that, he's all in authority and he's all in control. And he's saying there that he makes a way for us where there is no way. God will make a way. God will make a way for his people. God will make a way for his church. God will make a way for you. God will make a way for you to walk by faith and not by sight. Sometimes the, the, the pathway we have seems like a maze, like a corn maze, and we're not sure where to go. We feel like there's twists and turns. We feel like there's detours and blockages along the way. We're not sure what to do. We throw up our arms in frustration, but God will make a way. Notice in our passage of Scripture this morning, God makes a way. Notice number one in verse 14, God makes a way for our freedom. In verse 14, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Now, God has to come out and tell us assertively who He is. He says in verse 14, I am your Lord. I am your Redeemer. I am the one that bought you out of sin. I am the Holy One of Israel. And He's basically saying, there's none like me. There's none that can compare to me. He says in verse 14, For your sake I have sent 
to Babylon, and it brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cries in the ships. And I've said this in the last few weeks, but again, I'll repeat this again. As he writes this, Isaiah is writing this passage of Scripture 100 years before Nebuchadnezzar would come and overthrow Jerusalem. The overthrow of Jerusalem came in sequences. They began first by capturing the lowland cities of Judah. As they captured those cities, they started to make their way upward to the city of Jerusalem, which was on a mountain, which was on a hillside. They captured those cities on the lowlands, which were fertile lands, which were their farmlands, where they grew their crops and they had their animals. And as they did so, they found the waterways. They studied where the waterways were, how they got water up to the city of Jerusalem. Eventually, they cut off their waterways. They cut off the aqueducts and all of that. And as they did so, famine came into the land, and famine affected Jerusalem. And people died of famine, and people died of hunger. And not only that, but God was withholding rain. And because God was withholding the rain, that Jerusalem was in a straits. Eventually, the time came when Zedekiah tried to escape because he saw the encirclement of Nebuchadnezzar around the city. Zedekiah and his sons and his nobles tried to escape, but they were caught by the Babylonians. And as they caught them, they took Zedekiah. They pierced out his eyes, and they took his sons. They killed his sons before his sight. And then after that, they pierced his eyes and took him out so that he'd be blinded for the rest of his life and had to depend on somebody to lead him along the way. Well, the situation we get to verse 14 here is that Israel has been in captivity for 70 consecutive years. They're in captivity. They're just, they're in bondage. A new generation is raised up. But God is talking about here in verse 14, the day and the time in which God would send a conqueror to overcome Babylon. And that conqueror would be the Medo-Persian ruler by the name of, by the name of Darius, who would be succeeded by, 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 by uh, Cyrus there. And you'll notice here as we think about this, he says, For your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and Chaldeans. Now before we even look at that, we have to consider just the, the, the sentiment and the, and the spirit of the Israelites or the, the people of Judah because they were greatly discouraged and they were greatly in sorrow. If you notice in your Bible, Psalms 137, Psalms 137 captures for us in verses 1 to 4 just kind of the spirit they had. And this is what the psalmist wrote. He said in Psalms 137, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. In other words, they're saying, we, we were taken from, what were, from a free life and now we were captive. We are in bondage. We belong to the Babylonians. And they sat there at the Euphrates River. And they sat over on the, on, there by the Tigris River. And they sat there. And as the willows overshadowed them, they thought about what they had and what they lost. They thought about what they could have done more to protect it, their freedom that they previously had. And they're thinking now, well, God's prophecy that he gave through Jeremiah is going to be fulfilled. We're going to be stuck here for 70 years. There's nothing we can do about it. And he says there by the rivers of Babylon, the great flowing Euphrates River, the great flowing Tigris River. He said by the rivers of Euphrates, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept. And we remembered Zion. They remembered their pleasures. They remembered their festivals. They remembered their ceremonies. They remembered the worship of God. But it was too late. And as they were there, they went on and said this, We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captives required of us a song. And what it means there is that the Babylonians said, Why don't you sing one of the songs of Jerusalem to us? Why don't you sing one of the songs to us that, that, you, that you sang to the worship of God? And that was being said to them in some of a scornful, a mocking way because they were mocking the Jews because their religion had failed them, if you would, as far as the Babylonians were concerned. For there, so then they said in verse 3, For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us, required of us mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. They said, let's, let's try to cheer you up. 
Let's try to put some mirth into the situation. Let's try to encourage you a little bit. Why don't you sing one of those songs? And they asked this question in verse 4. How should we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? These were no longer people that were free. These were people that were captives. But God's telling them in verse 14, a day's coming when you'll get back your freedom. A day's coming when you'll be set free. And so they were in this situation where God has given this promise in verse 14 about the fact that they were snared, but they would have a freedom. You see, some people today, as we look in churches and we look in society, there are people today that are snared and captive by different things. There are those who are snared and captive to addictive behaviors and addictive substances. There are those who are captive to hurtful relationships. There are those who are captive to long-term illnesses and sicknesses, and they just feel like they're bound to those things. There are those whose lives are, are shattered, who, uh, who are captive to shattered dreams and disappointing failures. And then there are some of those, there are some who are captive to emotional strongholds and persistent anxiety attacks and worries and fears and all of those kind of things. But the Bible tells us here in verse 14, God is coming to his people, the Jews that were there, that would be there 100 years, 170 years later, they're down there in Babylon. He said to them, the day is coming for your sake that I've sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans. Now, you might want to mark in, write in the mark your Bible there in verse 14. He's speaking about Daniel chapter 5. He's speaking about the fact that when Belshazzar was the king, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, when he was king all over that land, he, he had a big feast, and he brought the men and the women together. Typically, when they had feasts, the men had their separate feasts. The women had their separate feasts. But he brought them together, and they had a, very, they had a banquet that was lascivious and evil and wicked, and a lot of bad things and wicked things happened in that banquet. And it was there that the hand, a man's hand appeared, and he saw the handwriting on the wall. And that was the finger of God writing on the wall, writing on the stucco there, and telling this man Belshazzar, as Daniel came and interpreted the dream, and told him, your days are numbered. And he says, God has waged in the balance, and you're found wanting. And he says, you're going to lose your kingdom tonight. He says, before you rest your head tonight, you're going to lose your kingdom. The days are numbered. The handwriting's on the wall. And certainly that night, the, ba the, ba the Babylonians would be defeated. The Persians and Medes had made their way around the city. They had gone there. And what they did was they, they, had, they had planned out this, the, the, the overthrow of the city. And what they did, first of all, is they cut off the Euphrates rivers. They built dams and to cut it off. Notice in verse 14, he talked about here, uh, he talked about the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. They were known for having great navigational power on the waterways there of the Euphrates. They had their ships go up and down for trade and for commerce. But when the Medes and Persians came, they cut it off. No one could escape out of Babylon. No one could find their way out on the ships because they cried. There was nowhere to go. There were dams that were established and the waterways were, were taken. And on top of that, there was a large moat that, that encircled the city. The city had two walls that protected it. And there was a moat around it. And the moat had been, been had become diminished because the waters had been cut off. And it became a very easy access for the Medes and Persians to come in. Because those Babylonians at night, as they were having this feast and this banqueting, they were drunken in a stupor. And they were drunken and consumed with alcoholic beverages and just, just totally indifferent about the situation. And it was a very easy picking for, for, for Darius and the Persians to come in and overthrow them. God was telling here, the day is coming. Yes, you're in captivity, Jews. Yes, you're in captivity, Jerusalem. But the day is coming that I have sent to Babylon. He said, I'm going to use Darius and I'm going to use Cyrus. And I brought down all their nobles and their Chaldeans whose cries in the ship. You know what God is saying there? He says, God will make a way for your freedom. You might feel like you're trapped. You might feel like you're snared, but God will make a way for your freedom. God will make a way for your freedom because of his authority. God will make a way of your, for your freedom because of his love. Notice he says this here. He says, thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Then notice this phrase, for your sake. 
God did it because he loved them. You know, we could be sometimes in this place, maybe because of bad decisions and bad choices we make, that we find ourselves trapped somewhere. But God comes along when we find out we're at the bottom of our situation and we realize there's nowhere to look but up. And God says, I'm going to do this for your sake. I'm going to do this because I love you. I just want to tell you today, God will make a way. God made a way for his people. He made a way out of Babylon. He made a way out for them to get back to Jerusalem. He made a way for them. God made a way for their freedom. And I don't know about you today, but maybe you're feeling like you're bound by by something. You're bound by your work. You're bound by your task. You're bound by stress. You're bound by anxiety. You're bound by sorrow. You're bound by worry. You're bound by something that's got you. You're bound by debt. You're bound by something of another. You're bound by covetousness. You're bound by wealth. You know, whatever it may be, you may find yourself that you're bound by those things. I want to encourage you this morning. We have a God who says, I will make a way. God will make a way for your freedom, for your release, for you to set free. Because the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. God will make a way for your freedom. But notice, secondly, notice verses 15 to 17. God makes a way for our footsteps. Now, in verse 14, God makes a way for freedom for those who are snared. God makes a way for those of us whose footsteps feel like we are impaired. Look what he says in verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Again, God is asserting His authority, His power. He says, Thus saith the Lord, which maketh the way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot, and the horse, and the army, and the power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise, they are extinct, they are quenched as tow. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, he's taking them back to the Red Sea incident. He's taking about something that historically was embedded and passed on from generation to generation among the Jews. It was very well embedded within them about the great Red Sea miracle, the opening of the Red Sea. You go through your Old Testament and you find repeatedly, many, many times, references given to the opening of the sea and how God opened that Red Sea up and made the, the, he made the river, the, 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 the seabed that they walked through, he made it dry and they walked right across the dry shop. And he's talking about here that God brought them to this place where he, where he made a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. Just the very thought of that reminded them that as they looked at that waterway of the Red Sea, the impossibility of it, those waters were overflowing. The path from the, the point from where they're at, the shoreline to the other side, seemed, in, in, it seemed uncrossable. And even if they could cross it, there was nobody that was strong enough that could swim across it. And even if they were strong enough, the currents and the waves would be so strong, it would probably take them under. And then on top of that, as if you even tried to make your way to it, the water depth right in the middle would be so deep that a person who was not very strong in swimming would eventually drown there. He's talking about the fact that God said, I, I am the Lord which maketh the way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. On one end, God is taking them back to their, to their past and reminding them of a past incident, of a one-of-a-kind miracle. The only time it's ever occurred in the Bible, in fact, the only ever time it's ever happened in humanity, where God took a large body of water and opened it up. I mean, it's much more substantial than the opening of the, of the Jordan River, where God opened up that Red Sea and made a way for us, and it's made a way for them. If you go over to uh, Exodus chapter 14, we'll notice this, that God gives some thoughts about it. You might want to turn, I'll just give you some highlights about this. God is talking about verses 15 to 17 here about how God made a way for them. In Exodus chapter 14, we learn several things about that circumstance. Number one is we read verses 1 to 3. We realize that Israel was at a place where they were stuck. That's what the Bible says. They were stuck. 
They were literally between a rock and a hard spot. God led them another way. He did not lead them up the coastline out of of Egypt where the Philistines were because the sight of war was going to scare them. So God led them through the way of the wilderness in an area called Paharirath. And as God led them along the way, he led them to the, 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 the banks and the shores of the Red Sea. They were stuck. Here they were at the Red Sea. Egypt, Egypt had changed his mind. Egypt, now the Pharaoh and his soldiers, all of Egypt came out. All of the army of Egypt came out because the, the people of Israel that escaped were about 3 million plus. And so they needed the large army. They came with 300 plus chariots. Just the sound of the chariots rolling through the desert was fearsome. Just the thought of horses and riders coming was fearsome. And then the thought of the mighty army Egypt, which was Israel, was very familiar with, scared them. They were at a place where they were stuck. Egypt behind them. The Red Sea in front of them. You know, sometimes we can be in a place in life we feel like we're stuck. We feel like, where am I going to go? And how am I going to get somewhere? You feel like you're stuck in your job. You might feel like you're stuck in your career. You might feel like you're stuck in debt. You might feel like you're stuck in a problem. You feel like you're stuck in your your, your sorrow and anxiety. You feel like there's no way out for you. You feel like you're stuck there. And God brings us to the place in life before he makes a way to help us to realize how stuck we are. Because maybe we we, we haven't realized that we need God all the way. Secondly, notice this. As they were there, they started to complain to Moses. And this is what Moses did. Moses stood up and he said, stand still and see the salvation. Lord. Now Moses was a little bit taken back that he had some pushback from the people. But he stood up there because he'd been prayed up and read up and God spoke to him about what was going to happen. And he stood up there among those people. One voice crying against three million people. And he said to them, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You know, when we're stuck, when we feel like there's a Red Sea in front of us and there's an Egyptian army behind us, it is at that moment in time we need to stop talking and we need to stop calling everyone. We need to stop asking everyone for their advice. And we need to stop right there. We need to stand still. We need to be still and know that he's God. We need to realize we're in a place where only God can help us. We need to be at this place realizing only God can get us out of our situation. And he says, stand still and see the salvation Lord. He says, you just need to stop everything you're doing and realize only God's going to get you out of this mess. Only God's going to get you across that Red Sea. Now, I don't know about somebody this morning that's in this room or maybe the next service. You're in a situation where exactly that describes where you're But I'm going to tell you right now, you might be stuck in a place because God wanted you there so you can realize you need to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stop calling everybody. Stop searching social media. Stop trying to find a book that's going to answer your question. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Realize that God himself is in control. And then something else happened. As they were there, Moses stood up there and with the rod of God in his hand, that rod would symbolize God's power and God's presence in life. He extended his arm and his rod across and he told the people to go forward. You know, when it's time for us to move, we need to move. God was supervising their footsteps. When it's time for us to go somewhere, it's time to go forward. Now I realize this morning, we're probably facing a major transition in our government on all levels, and things are going to change, and uh, new laws and policies are going to happen, and I realize we, we're still not out of this COVID-19 situation. I mean, if you just think about our world, everything in our world brings us to a place where either you get discouraged or you're encouraged. If you're discouraged, you just feel like you're paralyzed. You don't feel like you want to do anything. You just feel like you want to wait and see. But I'm going to tell you something. God's church, no matter what what happens, God's church, whenever things, there have been setbacks and there have been things that have happened that have been against us, the Bible contends us to keep going forward. Listen, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But the Bible says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. The Bible tells us things may get worse. Things may be bad, may get bad, but we need to continue in the things we've learned. We need to continue in the doctrines of the Word of God. We need to continue preaching God's Word. We need to continue having 
church. We need to continue living for God. Amen, Pastor? We need to continue winning souls to Christ. We need to continue being faithful to church. We cannot sit still and be paralyzed and let the world, excuse me, go to hell. We can't sit still and let that happen. We've got to waken our conscience and waken our soul and realize God put us here to do something for him and get busy for God. Go forward. Listen, this is not a time to go backwards. This is not a time to say, well, I'm 65 and I'm 70 years old, 75 years old. I think I'm going to sit back. No, God says there's a Red Sea in front of you and there's the Egyptian army behind you. Go forward because that's the, only, that's the only direction God wants you to go. But then there's something else that happened in there. He gives us a recap here. God says, I'm going to make a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. It was nighttime. When God told him to go forward. Our way of thinking, let's go forward and it's daytime. But we can see. God said, no, that's not the way I'm going to lead you forward. And the Bible tells us significantly right at that moment. That with the Egyptian army behind them. The pillar of cloud that led them by day. The cloud that led them by day and the pillar of fire came down between Israel and the Egyptian army. Now, the, the enemy might get close. Even so close, we could feel like they're breathing on the back of our neck. But God is there. Amen? God is there. And his presence came down to separate the two. And the Bible tells us that that pillar of fire led them that night. I mean, the light of God's presence gave them the leadership that they needed. And so God gave them leadership, and the light of his presence made that way. And then the Bible says God sent a wind. Now, these people are standing there, and they're getting, they're, they've been anxious for several hours. And here now, God is testing their faith. Will they have faith in God? Will they have faith that they'll get across? Will they have faith that the waters will not harm them? Will they have faith that they won't get stuck in the seabed? Will they have faith? And they did have faith, because the Bible tells us in, in Hebrews 11, Verse 29, it says, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. Here's what God did. God made a way. God sent a wind. And with that wind, he blew that wind very mightily, and it parted the waters hither and thither. Now, whatever, whatever the, the dimensions of it were, it was, long, it was long enough so the people of God could go across. God sent a wind, and it parted the waters. As it parted the waters, it became a wall on one side, a wall on the other. And the Bible says that the seabed that they were to cross became dry and became crossable. And every one of those Israelites made it through. Now, as we look at the Red Sea incident, and the Bible tells us about this in 1 Corinthians 10, it's a wonderful, beautiful picture of salvation. It's a picture of the salvation experience of a believer going through a situation where we cannot save ourselves, only God can save us. And God's people made their way through. It's also a picture of the fact that God, will, we're going to come to a place in our life where we're not sure what to do. And if you'll notice here, go back to our passage in Isaiah chapter 43. He says this, Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters. Now they were at a place, they had, God had to guide them in their footsteps. God made a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters. God shows us the way. God makes a way for our footsteps. God makes a way where to go. Now, what does that mean? Number one, when we go through our day-by-day -day journey, as we do things in life, we plan our life and we plan our schedule. But the Bible tells us over there in Proverbs 16:9, a man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directed the steps. Now, let me give you some thoughts about our footsteps this morning that we need to think about. Number one, there is a wrong footpath to take. There is a wrong footpath to take. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Be careful this morning. You're not saved. 
You might try to find your own way to heaven. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And I don't want to be insulting anybody's intelligence, but if you think religion's the way, and you think good works is the way, and you think being born into a Christian family's way, I have sad news to tell you that is not the way. There's only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. There's a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You might think the way to do it is to compromise with the world and get, get uh, buddy up with the world. And it might be to compromise along the way and do the drinking of the world and the eating of the world and the lifestyle of the world. But the Bible says, there's a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You might think being unethical and cheating and doing dishonest things is the way. But the Bible says, there's a way which seemeth right unto man, and the the end thereof are the ways of death. There is a wrong path. But secondly, notice this about the footsteps. We must pray for God to show us the way. Now, this is what the psalmist gave us in Psalms 119, verse 133. He prayed this prayer. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Now, you know what we're supposed to pray for every day for our footsteps? We're to say, Lord, order my steps in thy word. Now, I like that. You know why? Number one, it tells me I better read my Bible if I want to know where I'm going. Amen. This is my GPS. This is my navigation system. This is God's ways for every Christian. We're to pray, order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. We make bad choices, bad decisions. We go down wrong paths. We pay the price for it. There's repercussions of that because we didn't pray and ask God for direction. We must pray for God to show us the way. Then notice this third thing. In Psalms 37, 23, the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighted in his way. Now, God qualifies how he orders our steps. This is what he says here. God orders the steps, God provides the steps, and leads the steps for those who have faith in him and please him in their life. Read all Psalm 37, and that's the context there, the steps of a good man. God leads our, leads our path and leads our way. All I'm saying today, we may come to a difficult place in our life. We may come to a Red Sea experience, and the Bible says God makes a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. We say, well, Pastor, what about that Egyptian army? What happened to them? Well, the Bible explains that in verse 17. Look what happened here. Which bringeth forth the chariot and the horse and the army and the power. You know what God is saying there? All the mighty power of those who were chasing after Israel. And they were mighty. I mean, he describes it here. Their might in terms of military. Their might in terms of economy. Their might in terms of, of genius. Uh, their, their might in every way. He said their chariot and their horse and their army and the power. You know what God says there? He says they're all going to lie down together. In other words, they're all going to go inside that Red Sea thinking they're going to capture Israel. God's made a way for Israel. But where God made a play of, place of salvation because they had faith in God, that same place became a place of, 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 of condemnation by God upon the Egyptian army. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ, as we look upon the cross, it's salvation for everyone who believes on Jesus Christ. But that cross also serves as condemnation for every person. It's a curse in everyone who rejects Jesus Christ as Savior, who decides they're not going to receive the Lord. And the Bible says here in verse 17, they, they shall not rise, they are extinct, they are quenched as tow. I wish I could say more about verse 17, but here's my thought I want to give you. God makes a way for our footsteps. Maybe the devil's bothering you. Maybe you're having trouble with the enemies of the faith. But I want to tell you, as you have faith in God, by faith you'll get across that Red Sea. And by faith, God will make a way for you to cross. And by faith, God will lead your footsteps. And by faith, God will make a way. And by faith, God will take care of your enemies. Because in Hebrews 11:29, he says in that same verse, he said, he said, and the, which the Egyptians are saying to do. Now, the Egyptians thought they could make that their way. And they thought they could follow Israel. But the Bible says they were drowned thereof. Listen this morning. God makes a way for our freedom. God makes a way for our footsteps. Notice thirdly, if you would, as we go down. Look at verse 18. God makes a way for our future. Look what he says in verse 18. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. 
verse 18 what God's telling us? Don't get stuck in the past. Don't be so stuck in the past that memories of the past cloud the dreams for the future. Past victories, past failures, past defeats, past fears, past disappointments, past hurts, past anxieties, everything in the past that can pull us down. He says, remember you not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Now here's where it gets good. God's people, God is telling them, you know, you're going to be at a place. You're going to remember how you messed up. You're going to remember that you missed all those Sabbath year opportunities to let the land rest. You're going you're to remember how you messed up. But he says, I want to tell you, I'm your God. I'm there for you. And just as God makes a way for our freedom, and God makes a way for our footsteps, God makes a way for our future because we're not going to spend the rest of our life in our past. Listen, if we spend the rest of our life in our past, we'll never go anywhere. We start spending our life in the future. We start realizing God has more he wants to do. And look what he says in verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now, that new thing is God, as we'll see as we get in our study, that new thing, of course, is talking about when God brought them out of Babylonian captivity, and they would go back to Jerusalem, and they would lay the foundation, and they would rebuild the temple. And then years after that, they would rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and people would make, there would be three different uh, groups of people that would come back and resettle the land, and they'd make their way, and they'd have a name before God, and they would honor the Lord. And God was giving them a promise. He says, Behold, I will do a new thing. He says, Now shall it spring forth. Shall ye not know it? He said, Listen, I'm going to show you a new thing. He says, I've got your future all planned out. I've got in mind what to do for your future. I want you to know you don't have to be stuck in the past or stuck in your failures. I want you to know there's a future that you have. He says, shall you, he says, shall you not know it? He says, don't you know I'm going to take care of this for you? He says, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, when we look at that, that's a great thought there because God is talking about something that was almost impossible, something that was unheard of. He's talking about, he's talking about waters in the desert and river, waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, all of us that know enough about desert deserts and wilderness, no, they're, they're barren and they're arid and they get little rain. And when they do, the rain is just a flash flood that goes there for a period of time. Rivers don't flow through deserts. And there, aren't a lot, there is not an abundance of water. If you can find oasis on the way, typically it's because there's probably an underground spring that feeds it there. But typically in wilderness, you can go miles on end and there's no water. All you see is dryness and all you see is barrenness. And all you see is maybe some lizards that inhabit the area or some vultures around the area. But you don't see life and you don't see hope in that. But God is saying, listen, I want you to envision a life in a situation where you're going to have waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He says, I want you to understand that I'm going to provide for your need and I'm going to take care of your future. He says, I want you to understand you need to have faith in what I'm going to do here. God says, I'm going to take care of that. He says, let God do a new thing in your life. Look at verse 17, verse 19 again. God says, I will do a new thing. God wants to give a new life to everyone who's not saved. Amen. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God wants to give you a new start. You don't have to wait to January 1st, 2021 to figure out if you get a new start. You get a new start today, amen. You can get a new vision. 
Maybe the vision you've got in your life right now is all cloudy and stuck in the past. God can give you a new vision. God says, behold, I will show you a new thing. Behold, I will give you a new thing. I will do a new thing. Shall it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? Listen, let him give you a new vision. Let him give you a new start. Listen, I'm praying for God as we get into 2021. We're going to have a lot of uncertainties before us. But I'm praying for God to give us new ministries and to restart some old ministries and give it a new face and give it a new start. I'm praying for God to help us have new avenues of getting the gospel out. I'm praying for God to help us get new people added to the church and new opportunities of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not trusting God for new leaders that he'll raise up. He says, behold, I will show you a new thing. Shall it not spring forth? He said, I'll put waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Oh, I want you to remember with me, God helps us to understand that he's not finished with this church and he's not finished with you and there's more that he wants to accomplish and there's more he wants to do with your life. As long as you've got feet to walk and a brain to think and a soul that can communicate with God and a life that can go on. Listen, God wants to show us a new thing. God wants us to realize there is a future to be to capture. There's something to be done. You say, well, pastor, what about if we have a change in government? Change in government doesn't change God. God says, I will show you a new thing. It's not the government's going to show you a new thing. God's going to show you a new thing. You say, well, the government's all powerful. The government's all powerful, but it's not more powerful than God. You say, what about laws that are changed? Laws may change, but the Lord is over the law. Amen? We have to realize today, God is in control. God says, I've got this under control. I want you to remember, God is not finished with our life. He says, I want to show you a new thing. God will make a way for your future. When Heritage Baptist Church started 21 years ago, we started with nothing. Rented a facility in downtown Oakland. It was a nice place to meet, but it wasn't going to be there forever. <clears throat> Eventually, the time came, we had to move from there. And we went, as we told the story many times, we went from a Class A type building to a no class type of building. Amen. God still worked through his church. He kept showing us a new thing year after year. New avenues. New people being saved. New victories being won. New leaders being raised up. God led us here to 2960. Some would say it was kind of a fluke to get here. It wasn't a fluke. God God made a way. I remind you, we were told in July of 2001, you've got to leave the place you're at in East Oakland, find a new place. I still have the list of every community center, every church, Every school, every possible, I mean, even, I hate to tell you this, I even call ballrooms, ballroom dancing places. I mean, that's looking, we're, we're, we're at a place where we're just trying to find anything. Nothing worked. We were too big for some of those groups. And through an unplanned introduction, God brought us here. God brought us here. A welding training school. So the Southern Baptist Church came in and bought. Sheila Young, who was mayor at that time, who's our friend, has helped us in our programs. Her city council approved them to put a church here with a planned development usage. They put up the sound wall. I'm talking about young professionals. Some of the young professionals, listen to me. Young professionals have put up the money for that sound wall and to retrofit the, the original main building so it would be, so it would be uh, earthquake-proof. They put, up, they put uh, a lot of things in there to do that. They spent out of pocket. They sacrificed six hundred to $700,000 of money back in the mid-'90s. Young professionals who barely were just getting started in their jobs. They believed enough in God. They knew God had made a way. 
they determined after they did all that, this was not where they were supposed to be. They felt they needed to go back to the original place, and they left this place just to a, a small group of people here who couldn't sustain the mortgage. And just all long story short, God led us over to this place. And you've been here for the journey. God led us here. The day before Thanksgiving of 2001, we signed an agreement to share space again. Seven months after that, the group we were sharing space, the, the group that we thought, well, I don't know how long it's going to be. We signed a lease, I think, for one year or two years or something like that. And then it came about that the owners of the property came back and said, would you guys be interested in buying the property and being Baptist and broke? We said, of course we'd like to buy the property, amen? They carried the second mortgage. We couldn't get conventional financing. God led us to getting a, a, a bond program. For our people, many of you were participating in that. Our, this bond program, we became our own creditor. If we messed up, we lost our money. But we got the property. Amen. And God kept adding to his church. And God continues to add to his church. And bring you along the way. It doesn't matter what, what phase of this church growth, God's led you here. But God's not finished with us yet. Amen? There's still more God wants to do. There's still more you can do. Behold, I will, make, I will show you a new thing. I will show you a new thing. I'm excited about the new things God wants to show us. Listen, God will make a way for our future. God will make a way for our expansion. God will make a way for winning souls. You say, what if, what if the government comes in and shuts things down? Well, God will still make a way. Amen? God's going to make a way. God will give us the wisdom to show us what to do and how to do it, how to go about it, and how to do it his way. I mean, we can plan everything we want to do down to the dotting of the I and the cross T, but at the end of the day, it's God who makes a way. God said, I will make a way for your freedom, and I will make a way, he said, for your, for your footsteps, and he said, I'll make a way for your future. But notice something else. Notice in verse 20 and 21, God makes a way for us to flourish. Notice this, the beasts of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls. You know what he's saying there? Listen, we're still talking about, he's still talking about wilderness and deserts. Now there's nothing more discouraging for somebody who's used to living in a city, who's used to rivers running through their city and having crops that are growing and dependability of having food supply, being in this place wondering, where am I going to find water? And where am I going to find sustenance for my life? What am I going to do? And God is still embedded in their mind, wilderness and, and deserts. And he's saying, you listen, listen, I'm going to tell you, out here in the desert, on wilderness, he says, the animals, the owls, they honor me. I mean, just a thought for us. If the, if the animals in the desert and the wilderness honor God, how much are we honoring God? Amen. They're honoring him. He says, the beasts of the field shall honor me and the dragons of the owls because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Even the animals, all of God's creation knows of the dependability of God and the sustainability of God, that God meets the needs of his people. He says, look at the owls and the beasts and the lizards, which could be the crocodiles. They all knew that their creator would take care of them. And somehow in their own, their own way, they would just thank God and honor God for that. But how much more God's people could recognize and see God's going to take care and make you way for our freedom. And God will make a way for our footsteps. And God will make a way for our future, but God will make a way for our flourishing. Notice what he says here in verse 20. He says here, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, notice this, to give drink to my people, my chosen. Now, why did he say that? Because God knew the needs of his people. His people were thirsting. His people were depleted. His people were dried up. 
His people were languishing. What's he talking about there? Well, turn, your, turn over one chapter. Look at chapter 44, verse 3. In chapter 44, verse 3, he amplifies on this. This is what he says. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thy offspring. You know, again, again God is still talking about wildernesses and rivers and, he, and, 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 uh, and deserts here. And he, what he's saying there, he's saying, look, it, God knows we're going to come to a dry spot in our spiritual life. God knows we're going to come to a place we're going through the motions. We're doing everything we think we should be doing, but we feel spiritually dry. There's, we feel like we're just, we're, we feel like we're, we're sterile, spiritually speaking. We feel like there's no fruit, there's no abundance. We feel like we're going backwards instead of forwards. And God says, when we get this place of realizing that we're spiritually in need of Him and we're thirsting for Him, He says, listen, I will provide water in the wilderness and deserts and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people. He's talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. Listen, we need to come to the realization as we're right at this point of our life and, and we're at spiritually, do we really realize the need for the power of the Holy Spirit? Do we realize and sense there's been a depletion, that we're dried up, that there's been no fruit, that there's nothing happening in our life? Prayers are not being answered. People are not getting saved. People, lives are not being impacted. I mean, are we at this place in life of realizing that we need, we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? We need God to pour water on him that's thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I mean, we need to get this place of realizing how thirsting we are, how depleted we are, how much we need God, and how much we need the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I need more of the Holy Spirit today than I've ever needed before. Amen. Jesus said, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But, then, but, but this he spake of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Hey, listen, we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our lives so that the fruit of the spirit is evident. Listen, you cannot contrive the fruit of the spirit. The Bible says the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary one to the other. But walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You cannot contrive the walk of the spirit without the empowerment and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. You and I will not fulfill God's will in having the fruit of the spirit in our lives. Need his fullness for service for the work of God. He said to Zechariah, then he answered, spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Listen, you can try in your power, you can try in your wisdom, and you can duplicate somebody else and do all these things. But I'm going to tell you at the end of the day, without God's power, it's not going to happen. You need his spirit to do it. God will make a way. God will make a way. God will make a way for your freedom. Make a way for your footsteps. God will make a way for our future. God will make a way for our flourishing. As we close, would you notice, scroll down a little bit, verse 26. God makes a way for our forgiveness. Well, God makes a turn. He's telling, about, he's telling about all these things to look forward to. Waters in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Verses 22 to 28. He dresses the sin of his people. Hang with me, I'm almost done. He dresses the sins of his people. Now, first of all, if you look at verse 27. He dresses inherited sin. Thy first father has sinned, and thy teachers have transgressed against thee. By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So then death has passed upon all men, for all sin. Sin is inherited. We all have a sinful nature. And if we just go through life reminding ourselves that we have a sinful nature, it should create enough a stir in us that we seek to be humble before the Lord. But it just doesn't talk about inherited sin. Would you notice something else? Look at verses 22 to 26. He talks about individual sins. Now, God is loving, compassionate to his people, but he had to remind them that 
They would go into Babylonian captivity, and they would suffer along the way. And their footsteps would seem to be, they would feel like they're, they're at the Red Sea again, once again. And they would feel like they're stuck in, in Babylon forever. And they feel like, do we even have a future? And here's what God tells them. He says, now I want you to understand why you're in this situation because of sin. Look at verse 22. Sin number one, the sin of not praying. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob. He says, listen, here's your problem. You're so independent, you don't pray. You're so independent, you don't need me. You're so independent that even in your praying, if you do pray, pray to me, he says your praying is all about you. He said to them, but thou hast not called upon me. You know what he's implying there? Calling upon God is realizing we're in a dire situation. We need the Lord. We need God desperately in our life. And he said in Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me. He says, call for help. Call to me and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. He's just basically telling them, God, God is God's people. You're not praying. Then he tells them something else. This is, this is really, really something. Notice verse 22. Thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob. Then he said this, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Now think about me for just a moment about that. You know what he's saying to them? Thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. You know what he's saying to them? You're at the place in life, you're tired of God. You're at the place, you're tired of going to church. You're tired of reading your Bible. You're tired, you're weary of God. You're weary of serving the Lord. You're weary about taking another offering. You're weary, you're weary about all. He says, you are weary of me. Hey, I don't know about you this morning, but are you at a place in life? You're tired of God, you're tired of church, you're tired of his word, you're tired of hearing preaching, you're hearing about salvation, you're being, being admonished once and again, exhorted once again. Are you tired about those things? Are you tired of coming to service? I mean, if anything COVID has done, COVID has brought out the best and the worst in all of us. He says, you're worried me. He brings out another sin. Notice verse 23. He talks about the sin of stealing. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle that I burnt offering. He says, you know what? You're not giving me your best. You're not bringing me the, the firstling. He says, you have brought nothing. You stopped your giving. The tithe is the Lord's. The tithe is holy unto God. And beyond all that, God is honored and God is pleased when we give offerings over and beyond that. Read Malachi chapter 3. And he goes on by saying this. They were stealing from God, but verse 24, they were holding out on God. He says, thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifice. You know, there's this attitude in America right now where people think if they put a dollar in the offering plate, they're doing God a favor. Listen, you're not doing God a favor. You're doing yourself a favor when you're giving to God because you're showing to God that you love him and you honor him. But I'm going to tell you today, we need to reexamine ourselves. Are we at the place like these Jews were, which put them into captivity, which means they lost their freedom, where we're not bringing our offerings before God? He says, thou hast brought me no sweet offering, a sweet cane with money, neither hast thou Fill me with the fat of thy sacrifice. They weren't giving him their best. They were giving him the least that they could. Then God said this. Notice the next phrase in verse 24. Thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. They wore God out for all those years that they were continuing in the same, same thing. That's one of these phrases, one of these verses of Scripture where God says, Thou hast wearied me out. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? We spent time looking at the fact God said, I will make a way for your freedom. I will make a way for your footsteps. I will make a way for your future. I will make a way for your flourishing. But now God stops here and tells about all this. Is why? Because God wanted to give us this one last thought. God will make a way for our forgiveness. In verse 26, he says this. Verse 25, excuse me. I even, I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Now the blotting out kind of has the idea, for those who remember the days of whiteout, where you made a typo or you made a mistake, and 
whiteout was kind of a convenient tool used at that opaque there, and you would put it over the, you'd put it over the mistake and redo it, and it looked like it was just all covered up. But God's going to do more than just white it out. God's going to wipe it out. Amen? That's what he's saying there. He will blot out our transgressions. He's going to wipe out our transgressions. He says their sins and iniquities will no longer be there. He says, I will no longer remember thy sins. God, when he forgives us our sins, he forgets our sins. The word forgiveness, we must always remember, the word forgiveness means to send away. It had the idea of the day of atonement. And when the high priest took one goat and he killed that goat on the altar and the blood was given to sacrifice, but he took a second goat and he took away on the wilderness and let it go free. And after he let it go free, it was symbolic of the fact that God sends our, our, our sins away. And when he forgives us of our sins, he sends it away. He says, listen, I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions and for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. When God says, I'll do it for my sake, he says, I'm putting my name on the line. I want to understand I'm putting my integrity, my righteousness on the line. When I forgive you of your sins, I forget all your sins. Praise the Lord for that. A king, a rebellious subject, like God said here, they had wearied him with their iniquities. One day the subjects, they realized they were messing up. And in unison, they came together. They asked the king for his forgiveness. They threw themselves at his feet, asked for mercy. All the king's advisors were around him, and they had seen how the king had been abused and misused. They watched to see what he would do. The king arose from his throne, and he looked at all his subjects, and he pardoned every one of them. Every one of them. He sent them away and says, you're pardoned. His advisors got around him, and they started to chide him a little bit there. They said, what are you doing, king? He says, did you not put a law into effect that every rebel should die? Why are you pardoning these people when they should die for their sins? And the king said this without missing a beat. He said, I see no rebels here. And remind you today, when God says, I will blot out your transgressions, and the word transgressions means lawlessness. It has the idea of depravity. He says, I'll blot out your transgressions and your sins. I'll remember no more. God will make a way. And the way he made was through his son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for every sinner. The shed blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The Bible says that we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. It just keeps on cleansing. When we come to him with a contrite heart, we confess our sin, where we tell God we agree with what God says about our sin. I mean, like, like we did right here in verses 22 to 24, we can come and say, God, I agree with what you said about this. You know what he says there? When you confess your sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brother and sister in Christ, God made a way for our forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God for that. Amen. God will make a way. God will make a way. Are you snared? God will make a way for your freedom. Are you stuck? God will make a way for your footsteps. Are you short-sighted? God will make a way for your freedom, for your future. Are you just going with the status quo? God will make a way for your flourishing. Are you stuck in sin? God will make a way for your forgiveness. Turn to God this morning. Look to him to provide the way. 
Order my steps in thy word, O Lord, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Would you let him guide your footsteps? Would you let him set you free? Would you let him take control of your future? I'll show you new things. Shall I not do it? Shall I not come forth? I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Would you let him? Will he make a way for your flourishing? I'll pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. Would you let him make a way for your forgiveness? I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions and remembereth thy sins no more.